Hey, we made it. It's Christmas 2020. Yeah, I think that's worthy of a clap, you know. Some of you wondered at times if we'd make it, but here we are. It's been an interesting year, isn't it? A year that will go down in infamy. Uh, I'm not sure what optometrists are doing, but I'm sure they're scrambling right now to come up with a new term because like every time they say 20, your vision's 2020, and people are like, no, 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 I don't think so. Like I'm triggered, right? But hey, it's been a hard year, hasn't it? It's been a hard year. I'm not going to lie, right? So I thought on Christmas, I would just to cheer you up a little bit, um, I would just remind you that there have been plenty of worse years in history. Uh, you know, there's the stuff we know about all the time. We hear about maybe like World War II, Great Depression, or World War I, followed by the swine, um, the Spanish flu, rather. Uh, we've heard of quite a bit about that over the course of the year, haven't we? But then there's some other crazy, infamous years. How about 1348? You have the Black Death. And in the space of 18 months, this disease, the plague spread and wiped out a third of the population of Europe. It seemed like the end of the world was coming. In fact, I know, uh, I know you hate having to wear your mask around different places. There they had, have you seen the masks that they had during, during the Black Death? They had these like beak masks. Yeah, they were crazy, weird looking things. How'd you like to have to wear one of those around? Hmm? And then um, this is one you probably have not actually heard of. And many historians actually believe this was the worst year in history. I think Noah might have, you know, take some objection to that. But many historians would say this is the worst year in history. And that was 536 A.D. It began with an inexplicable dense fog all around the world. In fact, um, Europe, the Middle East, parts of Asia were dark for 24 hours a day for two years with no explanation. You know, they didn't have satellites and stuff. They couldn't see what was going on. They didn't know. That triggered the coldest decade in over 2,000 years, which caused rats to flee the continent of Africa and spread the bubonic plague, and it killed 100 million people just in the Byzantine Empire. In fact, a lot of historians think it was the final nail in the coffin of the Roman Empire. And it was all caused by a massive volcanic eruption in Iceland. Go figure. Completely out of humanity's control, right? That sounds pretty bad. So can we just all start off today by acknowledging and agreeing there have been worse years, right? Okay, good. Now, in spite of that, I think we would all fully agree that it's been a hard year. And I don't know about you, but I think we'd agree that we all hope next year will be better. You want to do a show of hands? I hope next year will be better. Yeah, and I bet you do too. And hopefully it will be. Hopefully, right? But we don't have any guarantees on that one, just so you know. You're like, why did we come to church tonight? We could have just stayed home and turned on the news if we wanted to be depressed. <laughs> you know, part of what made this year so hard, I think, is that it revealed really um, some things about our hearts and where we had our hope and our happiness and our meaning, where that was actually placed in and wrapped up in. You know, for some of you, 
it came like this. Um, you discovered this year that actually you had a lot of hope and a lot of your happiness tied up in professional progress, right? And come March, you know, you were wondering if your business was even going to make it. Um, this was actually kind of hard for me as a pastor because we came out of last year in this big build out and remodel with a lot of momentum. We had one of our biggest, you know, couple weeks of the year where we uh, had these, we did this series and we told you to, you know, for your family's health and well-being to minimize the amount of technology in their lives, right? And then the very next week, <laughs> the only way you could go to church was online, right? <laughs> So we were like, well, that was lousy timing. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, all this momentum, it just feels like it went to a screeching halt, right? And it reveals some things in my heart, I know, about you know where I thought things were going and how much of my emotions and identity was tied up in that, right? Or maybe, um, you know, for you, you always wanted to work, have autonomy, you know? And all of a sudden, you got a chance to work remotely, and now you wish you never had to look at Zoom again in your life. Or maybe 2020, your goal, and you were on track to get into the best shape of your life. I mean, you were eating right, you were doing everything, and they shut your gym down, and you found yourself at home eating food, stress eating, and binge-watching Tiger King. <laughs> that just hasn't worked out as well, right? Or maybe... Um, your, your big thing for the year was just depth and growth in relationships and family. And now this is like so weird for you because you didn't even have family around at Thanksgiving and you're doing Christmas over Zoom. And, and some of you, with all the family time this year, you're just praying, oh, please don't shut down the schools again, right? Some of you. You know, none of these things are bad things, are they? when it comes to like progress or staying in shape, or any, they're, they're actually good things. Financial freedom, right? Maybe some of you, your, your 401k was looking awesome going into the last year, then March 18th happened. You're like, what am I going to do? Hopefully you didn't sell out right then, right? But none of these things are bad things. They're good. But here's the thing. They were just never meant to be your source of hope or of happiness or of peace, or of joy in life. I want to introduce two terms to you today. I didn't come up with them. Smarter scholars than me came up with them. I just know how to read, so my mom taught me that, and I'm very glad. There are two terms, uh, surface idols and source idols. Surface idols and source idols. And these things we were just talking about, we don't use the term idol very much in in our time, right? I mean, we did the series through Exodus. We talked about idolatry. Many of you think idol, and you think like Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, these creepy weird things that they're bowing down to. We don't really think about that. We're like, oh, that's fine for me. But really, in a modern sense, when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to um, what we understand about our faith, an idol is anything that really replaces God in our lives as our primary source of hope or identity, it's the thing that we value so highly that if we're honest, it becomes more important than God in our lives. And some of these surface idols are pretty easy um, to understand. I've got a rope here, and I'm just going to illustrate some of this. And let's just say this rope illustrates it's like a timeline of your life, okay? And so you've got a little section of this rope here, and that's kids. And how many of you kids are just excited to get to Christmas? Can we hear a whoop? 
Yeah. You're excited, aren't you? And so you hope that Christmas is going to be awesome, and you're sure that Christmas is going to be amazing, and it's going to be wonderful, right? And then how many of you, you're excited to get into, like, grade school? Any kids? You're like, elementary school, we call it. Like, you old guy. Yeah, one over here, right? Or how many of you, you're excited about maybe getting into middle school? Yeah? Cool. And how many of you are really excited about graduating? Anybody from high school? All the younger kids are like, no, that's a million miles away, right? And the, the, the high schoolers are too cool to speak in church. So they're just like, I'm not talking back to this guy. But yeah, we think a lot of times graduation is a big deal. And so it's like when we get to this next phase, when we get to Christmas, oh man, I'm going to be happy, right? Or when we get to this next thing, I'm going to be happy. When I graduate, I'm going to find happiness, right? And this meaning and this new sense of meaning. And then you get out and maybe it's college or, or maybe onto a career or something, right? And you're thinking, then it's like, hey, when I just get married, then I'll be there. And then you get married, Right? And then you think, then you think, well, just when we have kids, we'll be so fulfilled and happy, right? And then you have kids. And you're so happy. Kids, we love you. But you got to get up all night and change diapers, and that's kind of a pain, right? And then it's, it's upgrades, it's jobs, it's, it's more money in the bank account, it's bigger, better toys to go out and play with in the mountains, right? It's Retirement, when you can just sort of kick back. And those things, um, nothing wrong with really any of those things, right? In fact, many of them are really good things. But when you start placing your source of hope and meaning in those things, and when we start coming to the point where we're like, "Uh, I'm just going to be happy when I get there, guess what? We always end up disappointed, don't we? We end up disappointed because our circumstance Um, When we arrive at the place we think we're going to do, get to, we think it's going to to bring us fulfillment, but it doesn't. It doesn't, does it? It's the old adage of um, the dog chasing the bumper. You know that one? Been driving down a country lane, the dog always runs out. Every time a car comes by, tries to get the bumper. And I always thought, like, well, what happens when they get the bumper? Either they're just going to try that till they die, right? And they're never going to get the bumper, Or they're going to get the bumper and find out, I didn't really want to get the bumper. (laughs) I'm very visual, right? Anyway, I'll move on. You get the point. Or for parents, I mean, you know, like, your kids are super happy right now, right? And then you know the day after Christmas is coming. Maybe some of you kids, you've experienced that. You got a gift, and then you realized you were really happy for, like, Christmas, it didn't fill that thing in you that you were missing, right? And so we call these things kind of surface idols. Surface idols actually reveal something deeper about the things in our heart and the issues in our heart. And, and these things are called source idols, the place where we can understand and identify where our hope and our meaning um, oftentimes gets misplaced. And one of those is comfort. That my hope and my meaning in life is measured by pleasure or an experience or a future where I can kick back and enjoy life. But basically, I want to live a comfortable, happy, 
enjoyable life. And comfort actually becomes the primary thing that we're shooting for in life and the primary driver and the thing we're placing our hope in. Uh, the second one is approval. And my hope and my meaning is in the affirmation and the respect of another person or another group of people. And really what, what makes me tick, what I live for, is the approval of other people. The, the next one is control, that my source of hope and meaning come from me being able to master some area of my life, from me being able to have control over my circumstances, my environment, because of my discipline or my high standards, to have that certainty in life, right? To be able to control it. The fourth thing is power. And my source of hope or meaning, the thing that so often becomes primary is being influential, winning, becoming a success in the eyes of other people and myself. And you know, when our hope is placed in these things, it always disappoints. Because you either get the thing and it disappoints, or you don't get it and it works, and you work that much harder to get it, and you're still disappointed. And ultimately, those source idols do real bad things in our heart. And maybe you found yourself in some of these situations when you struggle with different ones. If, if your main deal is comfort, um, you oftentimes trade responsibility in life for comfort. And you often let, you drop the ball on your responsibility and you end up hurting others. Or you don't have deep relationships because deep relationships take a lot of work. And you'd prefer to be comfortable, Right? And so often you actually find yourself bored because when, when your primary thing you're shooting for just becomes being comfortable, um, guess what? You were meant to live for something bigger than yourself. You were meant to live for a bigger purpose. And so you first find that boredom that you get it, you get the comfort you wanted, and then it's not fulfilling because you were bored, right? If, if your thing is approval that you struggle with, you just live constantly stressed and anxious trying to please other people with a constant sense of insecurity in your life. And you always have people that doesn't seem like they upset you or accept you and you're bitter towards them. You're always insecure about what other people think about you. Approval. If it's control, you just have a ton of anxiety because you figure out really quick that you can't control things as well as you thought you could, right? In fact, if there's anything this year has taught us, it's taught us that, hasn't it? You're not in control as much as you would like to think you are. And because of that, you're just pursuing, locking down tighter, being better, getting more control around your life, and you have a ton of anxiety, you have a ton of stress. It's just this cycle that feeds itself. You never have peace. And if it's, if, if it's power, you just have this constant fear of being exposed for who you are, that you'll be humiliated, that people will see because you're never as quite as good as you make yourself out to be, right? You have this constant fear of losing. It's not just winning. You don't want to be seen as someone who loses. And in the process, you have a really hard time with relationships too because you tend to use people and you hurt them. And that is where the message of Christmas intersects with our hope fully as we go into a new year. See, 
The message of Christmas, what Mindy talked about, the message of Christmas was proclaimed by the angels as good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Now, joy is a different thing than happiness. See, our hope is meant to lead us into joy. So many times we hope, we're hoping for happiness, and um, when we get the thing we hope for that we think will bring us happiness, it really doesn't do the trick. Hope properly placed will bring us to joy, and joy is something we can experience regardless of the circumstance we're in, whereas happiness is really so tied to the circumstance we're in. And so these words, you know, great news, joy, peace on earth, all these, we've heard them, we talk about them at Christmas time, right? And they were recorded by this brilliant writer and scholar, and Luke says he carefully interviewed eyewitnesses from Jesus' birth to life to death to his resurrection. But I don't want to focus on Luke today, which we so often do at Christmas. I want to focus on one of Luke's friends, a guy that Luke spent quite a bit of time with on the road. See, his friend um, had only been born a few years before Jesus. He was a really good Jewish kid that grew up and excelled in his community. And he ended up being so smart that he went on to study under a very prominent rabbi. And he became a brilliant, brilliant scholar. And he, like so many others, would have the prophecies of the coming Messiah from the Old Testament memorized by heart. He knew them by heart. He would have probably had the whole Old Testament scriptures memorized by heart. And he had this incredible hope in his heart that Messiah would come and maybe soon. And that carried a certain set of expectations for him. They had a certain way of thinking about it in his religious circles, the circle called the, the group of the Pharisees, the elite religious people, right? That Messiah would be a warrior king, that he would restore Israel to superpower status, that he would drive out the empire that held their nation under their thumb. He would have heard all about, actually, as he grew up, because he was just a few years younger than Jesus, he would have heard the stories about John the Baptist, this crazy prophet guy out in the desert that was telling people to repent, to turn to God. He would have heard the, the stories of Jesus, because Jesus was famous. Everybody heard about Jesus. And the rumors that he was Messiah, heard about the miracles. Maybe he even hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. But somewhere along the line, he was disappointed. Because the circumstances that were emerging did not match up with what his expectations were. Jesus wasn't rallying an army. He wasn't showing himself to be a strong military leader. He kept actually confronting and embarrassing the religious leaders, like this guy's good friends. Every time he turned around, Jesus is rebuking these guys. And at some point, the hope in Jesus possibly turned to hatred. And we don't know, but this guy may have actually been in the crowd that was shouting, crucify him, crucify him, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And after that, Jesus was crucified. And then, on day three, this rumor erupts all over Jerusalem, that this story that Jesus rose from the dead, and this guy thinks, that's crazy. That's just crazy, right? Thousands begin to believe this story. All these people said they saw it, and, and, and then they begin joining this movement over the coming weeks that's called The Way, these followers of Jesus. And this guy decided, I got to do something about this. And when we first meet him in Luke's second account, the book of Acts, he, he is just 
hating Christians. In fact, he is one who is presiding over the murder of the first martyr in the church, a guy named Stephen. And then he began to just go around destroying the gathering of believers wherever he could, going from house to house. He dragged off followers of Jesus, men and women, and he put them in prison. And the next time we encounter him, he's breathing out, it says, breathing out murderous threats against the followers of Jesus. And he's going to the high priest, and he asks for this commission, this letter, to go all the way up to this town about 100 miles north in Samaria, um, Damascus, and gather the believers up there, track them down, and bring them back and arrest them and throw them in jail. But along the way, his plans get radically interrupted, and he has an encounter with the risen Jesus who appears to him in this blinding flash of light, knocks him off his his horse, and as he's on the ground, he hears the words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul of Tarsus, the man who you mostly know by his Greek name, Paul, is given the commission that Jesus has an assignment for this guy, this very guy that has been hating him and persecuting his people. And he's going to be the messenger, the apostle that will take the good news of Jesus all over the Mediterranean rim. And this guy, Paul, did more to spread the good news or the gospel around the world than perhaps any other person who has ever lived. In fact, he is likely responsible for us being here today. And it's interesting, even though he writes a large chunk of the New Testament scriptures in letters, he really doesn't write very many specifics about the birth of Christ. But what he does spell out for us is what the birth of Jesus means for us when it comes to hope and our hope. In fact, in his first letter that we see in the Bible, not by the date he wrote it, but by chronology, it comes right after Acts, In Romans, here's what he says about the birth of Jesus. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that an epic opening to a letter? This guy was brilliant. This is one of the most brilliant pieces, not just of Scripture, but of literature in all the world. And Paul says, here's what you got to know. And here's where we ultimately our hope lies in the fact that we serve a God who makes promises and then keeps his promises. And he promised hundreds of years in advance that he would come to this earth. And he came in the person of God, the son, Jesus, to this earth. And what's interesting here is he, he notes right off the bat the resurrection because Paul was much more consumed with writing about the resurrection. In fact, in, in one of his letters, the first letter to the Corinthians, that even scholars who, who don't even agree or believe in, in Jesus really, they, none of them dispute the fact that this was a genuine letter of Paul. And he's already writing about the resurrection being an established thing only 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, he says 500 people, eyewitnesses. We have this. In other words, it's his way of saying, fact check me, go talk to him. The reason we're doing what I'm doing, in fact, he says, the most important thing you need to know is Jesus rose from the dead. God makes promises. Jesus, guess what he did? He predicted his own death and his own resurrection, and then he pulled it off. 
Someone can do that. You might want to follow on. Right? There's another thing that Paul writes about the birth of Jesus that I think is so profound. And I think it gives us this real hope for, for understanding that God knows what we're going through. He sees where we're at. He knows it's been a really rough year. He knows what you're struggling with, right? He knows that some of the relationships have been tense. Here's what he says in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. How are you doing with that one? It's a tough one, isn't it? Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And here we're getting to the birth of Christ. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He came to this earth. The prophets called this, prophesied this, and said he would be called what? Emmanuel, God with us. He identifies with us. He came humbly to a, to a manger, to a stinky stable. You would expect him to be born in a palace. No. He came to a stinky stable. He identifies. That's the depth he was willing to go to in order to encounter us and to have relationship with us. Gives us hope that he is with us, that he understands what we're going through. And it gives us hope for our relationships too. Another one he writes about the birth of Christ. And this is so awesome. I love this one. It gives us such hope that we can have a deep, real relationship with God, that God's actually interested in having a relationship with us. Check this one out. Galatians 4.4. Paul says this about the birth of Jesus. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Everybody say adoption. Now, thank you. Now, what we think about when we think of adoption, typically for us is most of the time, many times in our, in our culture, um, adoptions happen when kids are very small, or when they're babies, right? And they're just so cute and cute and bundles of joy. In, in this culture, adoption typically happened when someone was actually pretty close to being a grown adult. And it turned out that they were turning out to be a decent human being, upstanding. And, and somebody wealthy would go, my son's a loser. I, I think I'm going to adopt you. Because I'm going to leave my stuff for you. Now here's the thing. In that context, Paul says, guess what? Jesus came to this earth to make the way so that we can be adopted. You people who already were grown up with all your junk, all your stuff. He knew that, he saw that, and he still wanted relationship with you. He knew your failings. He knew how you would let him down. He knew how you'd let yourself down. He knew that you'd have all these source idols and things you'd run after that would become more important than him that was rooted by these deep insecurities and things in your life that you allowed to become primary instead of him, these things. 
And he still wanted to have a relationship with you. So much, he says this, because you are his sons or daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Literally, Daddy, Father. It's an intimate term in the language. God wants to have a real relationship with you, not just a stiff, formal relationship where you acknowledge him, but he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to have relationship with you. When you pray, he wants to talk back. God wants to have a relationship with you. That's such a beautiful scripture. It gives us a deep relationship with God. The other thing the Holy Spirit does, and this isn't really about the birth of Christ, but I wanted to throw it in here because it gives us such, such hope and power to live above the circumstances of life. In Galatians 5, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Remember, he said he's placed the Holy Spirit in our hearts, in our lives, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're infilled with the Holy Spirit. And when you walk with the Spirit, this is what happens in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. In other words, kids, your mama's never going to tell you not to have that. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? And here's what he says. This is fruit of the Spirit. Kids, have you ever seen a fruit tree? Maybe an apple tree, yeah? And it grew some nice apples or nice peaches. Did you ever see that tree just like going, I'm trying to grow fruit? Did it ever do that? got to grow some fruit. And all of a sudden, pop, fruit comes out. No. What did the fruit do? Just stayed planted in the ground, or the tree, right? Stayed planted in the ground. Somebody watered it. And then before you know it, the fruit grew. And Jesus says, when you stay connected to me and you walk by my spirit, your life is naturally going to have the ability to go through circumstances. I hope next year will be better than this one, but guess what? If circumstances aren't, if you walk by his spirit, you can still see this in your life. That's the message. That's the hope that we have, and that's what Paul talks about. And the last scripture I want to read for you is out of Romans. It gives us a hope for eternity, a framework for living our lives in light of eternity. Here's what Paul says in Romans 5, 1. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, how, do you, how are you made right with God? It's not by working hard. It's not by um, keep doing everything just perfectly. It's by trusting in Jesus, by having faith, put, putting your trust in Jesus. That's what faith means, trust, same basic concept. We have peace with God because what, of what Christ Jesus our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. In other words, we have relationship with God and then it gives us a framework to live our life in the framework of eternity. How long is eternity, kids? Eternity, he says. Yeah, infinite, right? Just keeps going, right? And the promise is we get to share in God's glory. If you think of heaven and you think of like robes and harps on clouds, that's lame. Oh, 
It's going to be beyond anything you can imagine. Sharing in God's glory forever, the glory of God, the presence of God. It's going to be better than anything you can ever imagine, and it's never going to end. And, and if we can anchor our lives in that, it gives us so much perspective to live. See, we, we think of our lives, and I'm going to need a volunteer or two for this. So here, here's what we do. You want to grab this in? It's like, here's our timeline, and I just, you know, graduate and get in college and get married and have kids, and life will be grand, right? And we have this idea of our life. But what Paul wants to do is he wants to give us a reference point for setting our life and our hope in something that is far bigger, which is the way we've been designed to live. And this looks more like this. The Paul would say, no, I want you to think of your life set in the context of eternity. Can you guys just start walking, go through those doors? I'll try to make sure this doesn't get tangled on the way. Yeah, hold it pretty tight. Keep going, guys. Because eternity, how long is eternity, guys? Kids? Long time, right? Okay, you see that? Now, now eternity is way longer than this. It's like they just kept going and going and going forever, right? And here's what God wants you to realize. And this is what will give you the hope to get through what you're going through is realizing that your life on this robe, it's not like this, right? Maybe, maybe it's compared to this little tiny purple speck right there. You see that? Anybody see that? You must have 20-20 vision. Good job. Yeah. The tiny little speck, and you're like, all you older people are like, we can't see that. We know. And that's the point. Your life in the context of eternity, it's a snap. It's an instant. And yet it is so important to God that he sent his son that you could have relationship with him. And it's so significant because what you do during this tiny little step can influence other people towards knowing him and spending eternity with him and experiencing his glory. And man, that puts our lives in context, doesn't it? Thanks, guys. You can let it down. Doesn't that put it in context a little bit? See, when, when, when Paul is talking to Luke, because they traveled together, they were traveling buddies. They went on missions trips together. And as Luke is probably, that's when he's interviewing all these people. Because we believe he writes this right at, when Paul's in house arrest at, at, towards the end of Paul's life, right before Nero chops his head off, right? Because it ends with Luke. Luke ends with Paul in, in house arrest. And Paul goes, yeah, that's the hope. And Paul goes, yeah. And, and they told me about the angels that said, great joy for all people. And Paul's like, yeah, you're getting it. That's the heart of the message. That's what Christmas is all about. In fact, he goes on in this passage in, in verse 3 to say, and we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Rejoice. You see, where is our hope supposed to lead us? To joy. To joy. When it's just in happiness, it'll disappoint. But true joy will not disappoint. True joy is regardless of circumstance. In fact, he says this, for we, we know they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Now, Paul, he would know something about joy and about trials. Because a lot of his letters he wrote in prison. He got beat up so many times, it was a good thing he had a doctor traveling with him. 
for telling about Jesus. And you know, one of the times he got arrested in jail, he's singing songs to Jesus, rejoicing. Till midnight. He knew something about joy in the midst of circumstance. And it was because he had a framework and a reference for what Jesus did and the hope that we have. And he says, we can rejoice too, even in the midst of everything. He says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. Anything else you hope in is going to lead to disappointment. But this hope won't lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I want to invite the band up. We're going to close with one song. As we do, I just say, hopefully, next year will be better, right? I'm hoping so. Sure. Let me just say, if your source of hope is rooted in happiness and in that idea, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. Because either it will be, and you'll get more comfort, more approval, more assurance, more control, or power, success, and it will let you down. Or it won't be better next year, and it will let you down. Here's what I want you to remember and take home. And I think Paul would say this to you. Hope that doesn't disappoint is only found in him. As you enter the, the new year, that, ultimately hope that doesn't disappoint, it's only found in him. And our source of hope and true joy in this life is found in eternal relationship with our Heavenly Father through faith in Jesus. And it comes from walking with His Spirit, which gives us the power to go through whatever we face in this life with joy, with joy. And that's good news indeed. And so would you stand? And as we close here, I just want to give you the opportunity to to respond to God. Just pray a simple prayer to Him as we sing. Maybe you, it would just be recognizing in your heart and saying, God, I recognize I've placed my hope somewhere other than you. I've allowed some, something else to become center and my life has suffered for it and others have suffered for it. And if that's you, then you can recognize it and you can also repent, which means to say, God, I want to turn away from that and I want to place my full hope and trust in you. For some, maybe that's the first time saying, Jesus, I want to place my hope and trust in what you did for me when you died and rose again. And for others, you just need to realign your heart right now. You need to recognize I've been really out of step with your Holy Spirit. And maybe a great Christmas for you would be setting aside half an hour or an hour away from the chaos to just pray and reconnect with God because it's been a long time since you've done that. Realign your heart. Spend some time with him. Let his peace and joy flood your heart because that's what you need whatever this next year turns out to be. Let's sing and I'll come back up and pray for you.